This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on The Debbie Debate. Welcome to The Debbie Debate. All right, boys. Are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. <laughs> Who jumped up and... That's Austin Mace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screener draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time the field on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Vernon, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I got it. Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Our apologies for Kirk Street and Atlanta's time will get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. What's going on, everybody? That was uh, already great start to the show. No Felix as he is. I actually don't know what Felix is doing. Austin is in couples therapy tonight with Colin after a uh, very interesting episode. If you listen to the Big Ten preview, I have never heard Colin wheeze laugh so hard over a, a joke. I, I was seriously concerned about Colin there for a minute, uh, but it is Chris Moxley. Matt Bruning here. We're going to do an SEC preview, but we have some pretty big college news that we have to go over first. And let's start, Chris, with Colorado seemingly heading toward the Big 12. Their presidents are meeting. Big 12 is meeting. All these possible news press conferences scheduled. Seems like it's all but a done deal. What are your thoughts on Colorado heading back to the Big 12? Yeah, it's it, it's going back to their roots. Um I have, I have my, my number one thought is uh, the commissioner of the Pac-12, Klyotkov, is the world's biggest idiot. Um, he's been talking about this media rights deal that like is so awesome that he can't even talk about it at Pac-12 media days. And it, it's just a non-existent deal. And now that Colorado is leaving the conference and Deion Sanders and everything that his presence attracts, like imagine how much less this deal is going to be worth moving forward. Um, so that's one. He he single-handedly destroyed Pac-12 football. Uh, two is, I think a lot of people are going to see this and think Colorado is a weird fit in the Big 12, but I don't think enough of the audience is old enough or is like in 
invested in college football lore enough to realize that Colorado was like a seriously legit program for a yeah. long time. And this is an organization who has, they've invested in the football program previously. And I think they're turning the page again because they weren't doing so over the last 10 years, uh, 10 years plus probably, but bringing Dion on doing uh, kind of lightening some of their transfer restrictions and all, all of these behind the not necessarily behind the scene things, but things that will make it easier to have a successful football program are all happening in Colorado right now. So I actually think this is a good fit. And I think Colorado is a great get for the big 12. Um, I think they're a program that's on the ups and I think that's a program that can be a marketable asset for the big 12. So I, I, I really like this over the big 12. If you're the pac 12, you're screwed already. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, the last time that they were truly relevant was when they were in the Big 12, was it not? I don't remember them being it was a like the big player. early 90s. Yeah, it, when they were in the Pac-12. So, I mean, I think it's a great, great fit for the Big 12 as well. I mean, dude, let's go back just a little over a year ago, and there were people singing, uh, you know, uh, what's the the Monty Python, bring out your dead, talking about the Big 12. Well, they flipped this around in the teams they added last year late on. Now they've got Colorado, and there's rumors that there will be others coming with them. You might get the four points in the Arizona schools. Like I saw, I saw the rumor of UConn. Wow, I saw that one of UConn not as as and, well. And for, so, basketball, so what, for basketball, exactly right. It's a it's a basketball play, and you're just gonna you're just gonna take that UConn's in your conference for football, right? But I mean, I might like you said. I think my guess is that they they get one or two of the corner schools and probably Arizona, Arizona state. Um, Oregon's been in the mix. Uh, I, I still think Oregon Washington would be a better, better fit in the big 10, like program wise. But I mean, yeah. I'm not I the agree. one making the decisions. I, I don't know. It seemed like, so, I mean, we obviously heard all the reports back when USC and UCLA joined the big 10, that it seemed like Oregon and Washington wanted to, and the big 10 kind of rebuffed them. It was like, no, nah, we're not really taking applications to join the club I, anymore. So I wonder if, I wonder, maybe they're just, you know what, middle that. finger to the Big Ten and go to the Big 12. I mean, I think they would be, with, with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, would it be unfair to say Oregon and Washington would still be the prohibitive favorites in that conference? They'll be that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Day. They go to the Big 12, they'll be the favorites. So. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if they were to go there, I, I the conference is supremely watered down. I think you're getting at UCF who's going to compete. Kansas State's still good. TCU's still good, obviously. But I mean, if that's how it ends up, then it's going to be a a pretty interesting breakdown. I mean, you got to give Brett Yormark a lot of credit. Yeah. The way he's handled the last, what, like year and a half since Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were leaving? Yeah. Like, you got, you, like he's added some serious programs. Like, BYU's a good program. Uh, they were independent previously. Cincinnati's a good program, one of the top group of five. Schools. UCF is a huge win because they're the largest public school in the country. And um, you get that that end of the their main thing getting into Florida pipeline. Everything was a big deal as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just give massive. give him credit. I mean, it's not a it's not the SEC or the or the Big Ten, but it's. I mean, he basically the, is. The I, I think he's test. pretty close to. They're better. I, I, I don't know if they're they're better than the ACC. I mean, what's the ACC got Clemson. The ACC, the ACC North is Carolina, this most Carolina. That's uh, true. North Carolina, Clemson, Miami, Florida State, State like the okay. top programs. Ah, of the, Miami, let's. Uh, the, the top programs of the ACC are. 
Yeah, but then you have you have like Duke, Syracuse, Virginia, all these schools who are super academically inclined and like don't want to play ball. So I, I I mean I think the ACC is way more fragile than the Big Twelve ever will be. Yeah, and so you're gonna see half those schools go to the Big Ten. You're gonna see half go to, um, half go to maybe maybe the SEC. I I, I mean I don't know if Clemson and Florida State will end up going to the SEC considering the rule that like the the in state school have has blocked over t- time and time again, like Texas A&M had blocked Texas for a while. And then they said, we just want Texas South Carolina has blocked Clemson for a while. Wow. Florida's blocked Florida state and Miami for a while. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I, this, this is like, I think the straw that breaks the camel's back. when we talk about realignment though. Yeah. It's going to be we're big, but like Colorado leaving is basically like pac 12 yeah. done. Cause it, we, we are, we are what exactly one month from the season? I think. Yeah, yeah. Or thirty one days, or whatever, whatever it is. Literally, literally. Pac twelve does not. Ha- the Pac twelve does not have a media deal. Yeah. In place, a Power Five conference in the country. Are you like? Are you kidding me? It's just a joke. I mean, it's. I I honestly, I mean, you're right. There's no other way to describe it than it is a joke. I mean, how are they going to? I I heard someone talking about it recently that it's almost like you have to have like multiple different subscriptions just to be able to watch certain school games, like just to be able to see certain ones that they're not all going to be together on one spot. It's going to be the, the Notre Dame strategy. Yeah, I guess so. Except, I mean, except you need, now you need a, a subscription to watch like Cal football. Yeah. And I mean, not let's, let's be honest. Are any of those schools in the PAC 12? None of them have the recognition that Notre Dame does. The problem, the problem is that none of the schools left are really revenue drivers. Like Oregon is a big competitor um, in the college space because they have like Phil Knight money essentially, and they have really good alum- yeah, yeah. alumni base. And, and Washington does too. Like those are really, I think, both competitive programs. But after those two, like, you're not really like who who else is really left that's going to give you a bunch of money and is willing to play ball competitively. Like Stanford is not like Stan. Like once you hit four years at Stanford, you have to transfer out as a grad transfer. Like they're not retaining fifth, six year guys on this roster. So I I, I just I don't know where it leads and I don't know where it leaves the Pac-12. I, I think they're in serious trouble and I think we're probably a year or two away from them getting like essentially disbanded. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I'd, I'd kind of hoped with us moving toward the expanded playoffs and, and what I believe is going to make college football a more national game, we would still have a power five, but I, it just seems highly, highly unlikely that that's going to because even, you know, we everybody always brings up when, when you hear about this news on Twitter, it's like, oh, why don't they just go get the best G5s? There's really not that many great G5s left anymore. There, a lot of them are already joining other conferences or have. So it's really hard to kind of bring those teams in uh, to a Pac 12 that is like, really struggling. Who, who, so I was thinking about this the other day, like, who are you really going to target, right? They rated, they rated the top conferences, like the Big 12 basically yeah. rated the top of the AAC and said, okay, we just want your best teams. Um, I think Tulane maybe, but like I don't think Tulane is like a power five level conference. No. I think I think the best answer at the end of the day is Liberty. I think Liberty yeah, is the answer because they have they have power five money, but uh group of five conferences have been really like reticent to bring them in just because like the money that comes into this program is not equivalent with the Appalachian States, Coastal Carolinas of the world. Finally like let them in this year, but I mean I just don't see it. Like it, yeah. it, the Colorado is, is basically like a canary in the coal mine for the, the pac 12. If USC and UCLA weren't, yeah, you know, yeah, it's a year ago. 
Unfortunately, not looking good for the Pac-12 conference. Speaking of things not looking good, another report has come out about bad culture, all kinds of issues. Uh, This one's centered around a coach that I I think everybody, for the most part, liked up until maybe today, and P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. So I have a interesting take on this that I don't think is going to fly very well. So I want to hear your thoughts first, and I will give give you my opinion. So I I would say that I am the most liberal member of this show and the least willing to forgive indiscretions. How about that? Um, That is fair. That is fair. Yes. What I will say about the report that I read and the way that it reads is it feels, and and this is just based on the report and based on my analysis of, of it, is a lot closer to a hit job than it does substantiated um, complaints about the program. There are, there are a handful of players who essentially said, Hey, uh, so front office sports released this report. Uh, I think earlier, earlier today, right? Basically saying, I think so. I Felix gave us the link to the article. I don't know when exactly it dropped. I'll yeah. So, so I think, I think it was released earlier today. Uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday, uh, Wednesday morning. And, Essentially, just detailed like it's a cult like atmosphere. It dropped Players at are... one o'clock this afternoon, July twenty sixth. Okay. Perfect. So, cult like atmosphere. Players are like held accountable or not held accountable to pay based on like this point system, and a lot of people felt it was unfair. And the fleck the bank. effort. Yeah, the fleck bank is what they call it, the PJ fleck bank. Uh, felt it was unfair. Uh, you know, some it was like based on like charity work. And like praying, which, you know, you can say whatever you want about all that stuff. But my interpretation of what it was, was PJ Fleck wants to instill a culture in Minnesota football. And I think it was the same culture that he had at Western Michigan, which is we're going to we're going to play football a certain way. We're going to act a certain way off the field as well. And there's a certain level of dedication that takes in this program. It's not for everybody. If I was a if I was a player in a PJ Fleck, I would hate it. I would transfer out immediately. I probably would quit football too. Like I I I like I I would never be a fit for this program. But he's he's trying to establish excellence within the program, and I think that that's a fair and legitimate um, approach. And I just think some players just aren't built for it, and that's fine. That's a totally fine thing. I get it. But I don't think this level this raises itself to the level of Northwestern, especially like it, like yeah. the, this pales in comparison to Northwestern and what came out in the last couple of weeks. This is just a it, he's not working players to the point where they're dying on the field like DJ Durkin at Maryland. If that was the issue, that'd be a lot different. DJ Durkin is is getting all sorts of Power Five defense coordinator jobs, so I don't want to hear anything about that situation. That's a entirely different situation. I think what PJ Fleck is doing is just trying to instill a culture of extremely hard work, and it's not for everyone. I would hate it. A lot of players don't like it, but I don't think it's something that we should cancel Minnesota football or PJ Fleck over, and that is my read on the situation. I think the worst part of it is the injury stuff, and I I question if I, I, we don't have substantiated reporting on that, so I'm skeptical. Man, that's not the way I thought you were going to go because uh, I actually agree with you. You can't spell culture without the word cult. Like people, I think. PJ Fleck is a cult. What do you think? Row the boat is exactly. Row the boat is literally a cult. 
And I, and I don't want to just push all of this stuff aside. Obviously, the injury stuff, like you mentioned, though, it, it said there was a couple players in there, nothing substantiated. Obviously, that is a big issue. You, you don't want that to happen. Absolutely. People taking all these issues out of, well, if some of these players tested positive for drugs, that he let that slide, you don't every think program that in the country happen at every program. You guys don't think that they do what is being accused, what PJ Fleck in Minnesota are being accused of are every program. It may be to varying levels of degrees. You guys hate it when you find out how the sausage is made, but you still go to the market, you buy it and you eat it. And you're going to do the same thing here with college football. And that was going to be my take on it. You hate finding out about how these coaches are and how they treat players and all this stuff. And you're going to raise a big stink about it right now. The minute those games come on on August 26th, you're going to be watching and cheering and pretending like it never happened. Do you, do you remember the Trent Dilfer video? Yes, I do. Um, about I, him, basically. I, I, I personally did not think it was a big issue, but I know a lot yeah. of other people were fairly it, upset about it. Him, like, getting aggressive in the face yes. of... Uh, where did he, he put his Montgomery hands on Bell? Did he coach him on Montgomery Bell? No. Uh, it was a high school. Or that was from yeah. a high school. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. So, uh, he, was high, he was a high school football coach, put a hand, his hands on a player, kind of, like, pushed him, and, and um, that is a legitimate coaching strategy. Not one that I necessarily agree with. Not one that I think is necessarily successful. But it's given P.J. Fleck a lot of success. It's given Minnesota a lot of success. I, I think some players are built for it, and I think that some players... Um, need that sort of push. Um, there are some allegations in there that are, are tough. We talked about the injury yeah. stuff. We talked yeah. like that, like that's problematic. But a lot of what that article reads, and you can go read it at Front Office Sports uh, for yourself too, if you disagree with our conclusions here. A lot of it is like he pushed me really hard. And the one, the one quote, and I, I empathize with the, with with this player. He said, you know, uh, he wants us to answer that we're elite, elite. every day. I was, I was gonna bring that up, yeah. And you know, I said I'm good, and and he, Fleck walked back, and he said, no, you're elite, because um, he was going through mental like uh, a mental health crisis. I I I I, I empathize, empathize with that, right? Like yes, that, yeah. like that's tough, and for for anyone. But at the end of the day, it's like that's not PJ. Like that 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 feels like two separate issues. One is like a, a football player issue. One is a mental health issue. And I know it's hard to separate the two at the end of the day for the individual, but um, PJ Fleck also is quoting that article saying that he's offered mental health resources to all of his, his players. And and so I, I struggle to balance those two about how a player, a player and a coach should handle those two. Cause I think Ryan day did a good job talking about, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to forget his name now but the offensive lineman I, I can't remember his name yeah, yeah, yeah. he retired from football because of it, yes yeah and I, I i don't know enough about the situation to like have a, a strong well thought out take on that specific instance because it feels like it's a lot more like buying into the football program and the culture versus like hey how are you actually doing as a person yeah um and then the one last thing i'll say and i'm, I'm talking a lot about this because i i have opinions on it and i don't want to um I think That's it's important right. to talk only about, talking about the SEC. So yeah, yeah, no yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's important to talk about just because, like, in terms of building a football program. But he has the the family quote, which is he's a Graciano disciple essentially, which is like, forget about me, I love you. And Rutgers wore those on the back of their the back of the jerseys a bunch in the last couple of years. And one player came out and was like, forget about me, my me is my identity. And like, that's not the point though. Like, yeah. you're missing the entire point of, of of what this is. And so I, this piece feels far closer to a hit job than an actual issue within the program is my final thought. Yeah. I mean, so I, I 
never made it to the college level like Felix and Austin did. So, so maybe they have different takes on this, but I, I played sports my entire life at competitive levels throughout that whole thing. And I, I had coaches like this. And I, I think the main difference you're going to find, especially when you go to college is all this, as you mentioned, was a lot of it was on PJ Fleck. They talked about it in this article very smallly. There was not a lot about it, about how the position coaches in there held different standards than PJ Fleck did. That's because they have the relationships with these players. P.J. Fleck does not. I think that's something that's widely overlooked. A lot of these head coaches don't necessarily have a one-on-one relationship with every single player. You mentioned the mental health stuff, and Felix is joining us for those of you who are on the podcast now. Uh, The mental health stuff, like Ryan Day did that as well, but he talked about it in an interview that he didn't know what that player was going through. A lot of these coaches don't, and and I don't want to say that that's necessarily okay, but you also can't hold them 100% accountable for that. They're in charge of, what is it, 100 players on this roster? They put those resources in there. If those players don't feel comfortable to talk about that, like that's more of a societal issue, in my opinion, than a coaching issue of PJ Fleck. I, I thought a lot of it was just from the some of the outrage. I haven't looked too deeply into it as I did just check out the article earlier today. I think some of the outrage on this is a little bit more overblown than it should be. I personally did not find a lot of it to be that big. And the injury thing, I, I can't speak on. There was not any of that substantiated, as Chris mentioned. If that is true, that is a big deal to me. But like the Fleck Bank letting drug tests go. We, we've seen coaches do that. I mean, even Lane Kiffin, just to, to mental health, healthness thing, and I'll, I'll help mental, mental health, mental health, mental health. Sorry. The mental health issue. And I'll let Felix talk here is we've also seen that like Lane Kiffin has now done that at Ole Miss, right? He's made a big push for that and added this mental uh, health group here at Ole Miss. I think it's a big thing. I think that's where football is going. It's still going to be a struggle for these players. Felix, I assume you're jumping in to, to talk about this, so go ahead. I wasn't going to come on today because it's been a long day, but I felt actually really strongly about this. P.J. Fleck, of course, started um, at Western Michigan University. I think he was a wide receiver at Northern Illinois, you know, a five foot ten unathletic wide receiver who's always had a tip on his shoulder. To get to the level, that he's got, he's gotten to. It was going to take something more than just raw talent and ability to get to the level that he has as a leader. He would have to be something different. Um, I've followed his career since he started in my hometown in Kalamazoo. Wrote I even thought about buying an ore, and he actually that's I, when I thought about buying it. Um, he went from uh, Kalamazoo to Minnesota. I don't think that people understand that football is for not is not for the well-adjusted. Um, and but what I see in that locker room isn't something of, of dysfunction. It's someone who believes in himself, who's trying to get the most out of his team, and is trying to establish a certain culture. You two have already said it. There was one thing in that quote about all the mantras that he that he had. I write in my journal every single day about consistency and discipline. My cult leader, he's trying to establish, Coach Martin used to say, I've got to take care of 110 jokers. You said 108, it's usually 110, 110 jokers. And he's trying to get on the right path. This felt like 100% a hit piece. Um, and I kept waiting for the big reveal somewhere in that article. And it never came. It never came. I was waiting for the Pat Fitzgerald like came like uh, allegation. It never came. Um, 
I really wish that I would would have prepared remarks, but the reading the article and reading it a couple of times, it just made me angry because you know coaches are trying to teach you to be mentally tough and to still perform when you're under adversity, when you're tired, when you're struggling, when you're hurt. You know how many life lessons I've learned from teaching like that? No one cares if you, you know, uh, lost your job or, you know, you're down on your luck. You still have to perform for your family to figure it out, to do your job. Is, is Bill Belichick a cult leader? You don't think that he, they have a, they don't, you, you don't think that they have mantras in New England? Um, that type of mental toughness that they teach. They talked about in the article about um, PJ Fleck requiring clapping every time that he enters the room. When I thought about it, that's not his ego thing. He is, he wants a certain amount of energy consistently. When I was playing quarterback in high school, if we didn't break the huddle the right way, right 127 lead on one on one, ready, break. If that was lethargic, we would have to do it two and three. There's the clip of John Gruden talking to Chris Sims, making him get the play out with authority because it has to be said a certain way. You have to command the huddle. I... I uh, really felt a certain way about this again because I've been following PJ Flex's career. Five foot nothing wide receiver from the MAC, played in the NFL for what a, a, a year or two, and has made it to where he has put Western Michigan in New York Six Bowl. By the way, that Corey Davis team, those Corey Davis teams. Um, Chris, I thought I was going to be prepared to come on because I thought that I was going to have to fight you. I really did, but but I but I didn't. It's uh, I've wanted to talk about this since the Pat Fitzgerald thing, and the there are some things that can go too far. But generally, coaches are giving a lesson, and they may give that message in a number of different ways. You have your Tony Dungy types. You have your Jim Schwartz types. You have your P.J. Fleck types. All those coaches have an association with Michigan. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that that is, is where all of those things that were reported in that article, and we should probably post it in the uh, description of, this, of the show today. It kind of indicated to me a coach who really, really believes in himself and is trying to instill some very specific things. Those mantras, the acronyms that they use, is so that you remember them. It's so that you remember them. And you don't need a mantra when you're doing well. You need it when you're not at your best. It gives you something to believe in, a carrot to pull you along the way. And that's all I saw from that article from PJ. I'll let you guys go. Well, I guess I guess Matt left. Is he throwing it to we, me? We lost Matt. No, so you you thought I was gonna take the other side, right? I, heard, say, I 100% like, thought you were gonna take the other. This is toxic. So I didn't I didn't play sports at a high school level. Um, I played like hockey and like 
sixth and seventh grade. That's as far as I got. Prayer. Oh, that's what I was going to say. The, the Praying with him. We said the Lord's Prayer after every single game at Grand Valley. Every, as a matter of fact, I think we said the Lord's Prayer after every single game in high school. I, I thought that that was just known that that is something that teams do. It's never been different. I've never known anything different. Now, I remember we had I had one Muslim teammate. He didn't say it, but everybody else got on the knee after the coach's speech, after the game, after Coach Martin's speech. Coach Martin was the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, now the head coach at Miami of Ohio. We said the Lord's Prayer after everything. There was nothing in that article that was out of the ordinary. I it so that's what I was gonna say. Um it struck me as like everyday practice for a high high school or college football program. Um, honestly, I was I was like kind of surprised that you said it, like what you said earlier, right? There wasn't a big reveal in this. It was like, hey, he runs this program to a certain standard and expects something out of his players. Literally, literally, it would be it's ironic almost that they talk about this fleck bank in terms of like accumulating points and you accumulate points by doing community service activities, community, community service, going to study hall. Yes. And that sort of thing. And it just is so ironic. One of the things that they said they let go were drug tests. First of all, no one knows whether or not maybe the position coach and the coach know if a player passed or failed a drug test. They, they could have said marijuana test. If somebody passes a marijuana test, we're we going to suspend them for, it's 2023. You're going to send them for 20 games. You're going to Josh Gordon them. Um, is it, I, is I it, just, it legal in Minnesota anyway? It's just, it, it may, the, the article, it may be legal, but it, it's probably not in the NCAA. So that is still that, matter, unfortunately. But the ways that players could build credibility with Coach Fleck, had no issue with whatsoever. Matt, you're back, so I'm going to turn the show back over to you. I was going to do my Bane impression when I came on, because I thought you were going to say my name, and I was going to say, speak of the devil, and he shall appear. Do you feel in charge? Well, I wasn't sure if you were going to come on or not, so I didn't want to, you know, just uh, let everybody know that you were sitting in the background. But thank you for jumping on and giving your thoughts. I, I was hoping that you would obviously after we both read the P and, and kind of everything that happened there. So Chris, we do need to talk about the sec we spent uh, oh, yeah, a we 30 minutes talking about show Colorado and right, PJ Fleck. And I want to start with a program. Yeah. We, we still have a whole show to go. Uh, another program that has rumored, you know, culture problems. We're, we're going to start with Georgia. I think it, we just, it deserves to start with them back to back national champions. Carson Beck. Some, as you know, Bain, who just left here, has talked about he is, you know, the the next coming of Matt Stafford, it feels like, with the way he talks about Carson Carson Beck and praises his name. What are your thoughts about Carson Beck and this passing offense this year? Yeah, I think Carson Beck is a better player than Stetson Bennett was. Um, from just like football player standpoint, I thought he had one of the better sprint games I saw across the entire board. Um, so I was really, really impressed. I like this offense. I like Carson Beck. I think that he can be really good. Um, I don't know what his statistics will look like just because Georgia is going to be favored in every single game and they're probably going to go 12 and 0. 
So like, he's probably not going to play the whole game. They're probably going to rush a lot. You're going to see a lot of like 14 for 15 for 200 yards and four touchdown games. Like that's probably not enough to build a Heisman case, but he's going to be darn good this year. I think, I think that he's a really solid player. First rounder, second rounder, probably not, but he's an NFL draft pick if he performs well. And I, I think he will. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you on that. I, I, I don't think I've ever said that he's not going to be good. My my main question has been that the offense, I, I don't quite believe in Bobo the way that I think Munkin ran that offense though. We did a lad McConkey video recently on the YouTube channel and Georgia Bulldog fans let me know I'm an idiot. So maybe I'm wrong. I know he had a great 2014 Ge- offense, apparently Ge- uh, Georgia Bulldogs, Bulldogs. And, and I will go ahead. Are, 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 Yes. The one of the worst fan bases. Like, yeah. like a, you, y'all can comment you in the video. I don't care. I don't care. They are aggressive defenders of nonsense, regardless of what it is. They've defended all the accusations that have come up to this point. And Mike, I watched Mike Bobo's most recent offensive performance as the offensive coordinator at South Carolina. They suck. He sucks. He's not a good offensive play caller. Anything that happens that is quality is him stealing anything from Mike Bobo or um, Todd Monken. He just isn't a quality play caller. Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. I don't disagree with you. I, I brought up and actually in that video when when people lambasted me about me not giving him credit, I gave him credit that by far his best year was the 2014 year with Georgia. So like I was like, I'm not trying to not give him credit. It was, an, it was a great year, but statistically, if you look at every other year, it was not that good. And that is really my big concern because I also agree with you. I would find it very hard to believe that they don't go undefeated this year. And if that is the case, I don't know that they continue to have Carson Beck out there in the fourth quarter throwing 50-yard bombs. Now, he likely yes. will have some games where he goes, you know, 15, 11 of 15 for 200-something yards and a couple touchdowns. That's fine. Like, we think that that's coming. Yeah. We just, I just, and I do think he'll make it to the Heisman ceremony just based on the fact that it's going to be a Georgia team that's probably going to be number one pole to pole. Oh, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Okay. Pole to pole, they're going to be the number one team in the country unless they lose, which I don't think that they will. So he's going to have at least decent stats. This is a wide open year when it comes to the Heisman. I mean, I've, I've planted my flag on, I think this could be the year that we see another wide receiver win it, Marvin Harrison Jr. Cause I think he will have to carry that, that Buckeyes offense. Like, if he's the guy that I'm predicting to win it, I don't see why Carson Beck wouldn't at least be at the ceremony. We saw Stetson Bennett there last year, and I don't think you'll have quite those numbers. But again, undefeated team going for a three-peat, the quarterback, like he's likely going to be there. So we like Carson Beck. I agree with you. I think he's probably a day-two pick. I would lean more toward third round overall, but I do think he could get drafted day two. Running back room is extremely interesting. You know, Andrew Paul was a guy that we loved last year. Torres ACL sounds like he's going to be back and ready to go. Branson Robinson looked good in a limited sample size. And, of course, we have all Georgia football fans' favorite, Kendall Milton, back for his fourth year, has been just mired in injuries. Do do you have any, like, who's the guy you're betting on in this backfield? Uh, long term, the answer might be Roger Robinson, the freshman that they're bringing in this year. Uh, super good athlete, like hit uh mile per hour thresholds at his size that is essentially unheard of. Just su- super athlete, really, really exciting player. Um, I think Branson Robinson's still hurt or is injured, so I don't know how much that is going to affect at the beginning of the year. But um, I- I'll tell you this: my answer is not Kendall Millen. Like we we've seen Kendall Milton for three years. Every offseason, our our Georgia friends say, Oh, it's this year, it's this year, it's this year. I just I just don't think it's gonna happen. Sorry. 
No, I, I'm with you. Rod, I would still lean on Branson. I think he's going to have a good year. But Roderick Robinson, again, I, I've talked about this last week. Follow our recruiting team. They, they, they do a major job, the official. I don't remember the exact players, but players who run over 20-something miles per hour and over 220 pounds, it's like five players. and, and It's like, like Derrick Henry, Saquon yeah, Barkley, he, like types of players. They're all like incredible, that, like that's incredible players. And Roderick Robinson fits in there, and I think he will do that. Wide receiver, really quick, let's just touch on. I mean, they bring in Dominic Lovett. Arian Smith is back. Lad McConkey's gotten a ton of love on these airways. Uh, again, not I was not favorable uh, on him. I still think he's probably a day two pick. Like, I, I would not be surprised. I do think he's yeah, a good for, football for sure. player. But when it comes to fantasy, I don't see it in the college level because Brock Bowers is still going to be the number one. And, and even if McConkie is the number two in the passing game, again, I don't see the volume being there for him to be a top asset. And I really don't think, I mean, if we're going to knock, and I don't think this is an unfair thing to say, someone on this show kept knocking how JSN, a slot, no, not you, JSN, oh. a slot wide receiver, could never succeed in the NFL as a wide receiver one because he's a slot wide receiver. That's what Lad McConkey is. And I do not think that I personally, I think JSN is a much better wide receiver than Lad McConkey when it comes to just playing the position of wide receiver. So I find it very hard to believe that he is going to be a high end viable fantasy asset of JSN can. I think he's a very good football player deserves to go day two. I think he's probably going to go day three or I'm sorry, round three, much like Carson Beck, but your thoughts on McConkey. Yeah. I, 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 if I had to reject him right now, it'd be round three. Uh, I don't think he really provides much college fantasy upside. I mean, six, 700 yards is in his portfolio. I don't really like the rest of the wide receiver room. I mean, Arian Smith is like one of the fastest wide receivers in the country. And we still just ha like, haven't seen them do anything. You, he'll have the occasional like post route where he just burns somebody um, yeah. every once in a while. Yeah. But still, um, I mean, the, the answer to this Georgia wide receiver room is the tight ends is really what it is. Brock Bowers is going to be awesome. Um, best set in, in the country. Uh, his his prize picks over under set at six hundred fifty yards feels a little bit low, but I mean, it does. But I I I have not, I have not played it for full transparency. But you know, I, I I think it'll be really productive. Oscar Delp I think steps into that wide receiver or tight end two spot vacated by Darnell Washington. Um, love their freshman tight ends a lot. Lost and lucky Pierce Berlin really are both are talented player lucky got a lot of action in the spring and the spring yeah. they were raving about him um the only question i have and i, I don't know if you've watched him because i personally have not uh yazid haynes who's the wide receiver not. going there i have not. he's got he's gotten a little bit of love and so i i don't know if he's any good and i know he's not going to be productive for on the college side but interesting interesting name i guess just, just you know keep an eye on if it's if it's the player that I think it is, I'm almost positive he's got a ton of speed, but I don't remember standing him standing out at all. I probably did grade him. That's like I don't, that's like the Georgia mantra though. Let's, yeah, let's get a bunch of speed dudes here and, and see if they can actually learn to play football. He he doesn't stand out to me in a in a major way. All right, well, next up we got to talk about Alabama, and obviously the big discussion point around them has been the quarterback battle. I mean, we have. Jalen Milrow, who we got, who see a little bit of time of last year, two games. Ty Simpson, the highly touted five-star freshman from last year. And then they bring in Notre Dame. I think he was four-star, but highly rated four-star in his own class. And Ty Buckner over with him, obviously knowing the Tommy Reese offense, who came over as the offensive coordinator. We talked a little bit about this on the BSN show, so I, I really suggest you guys go watch the show. We have a lot of fun on that. It was actually a lot of fun last week when, when we had this yeah. show. And uh, we talked about these guys. 
Uh, I still think Jalen Milrow is going to end up being the starter. And where I think this ends up being bad for Ty Simpson is I think Tyler Buckner ends up being the backup because he knows the the system. That's why I think they brought him over. We, we saw a lot of people when the move first happened saying, oh, they're bringing him in to start. And I've consistently pointed out the fact that, again, if you really look at the timeline there, Tommy Reese was at Notre Dame when they said, hey, we need to go get Sam Hartman and bring him in to start over Tyler Buckner, then goes to Alabama, but then decides he wants to bring Tyler Buckner in to start over those two. I don't see that. I think he brought Buckner in because he knows the system. He knows how to run it in case there is an injury or if something happens and Milrow can't play or Simpson, because I do think whoever wins the job will be the one. I think Buckner will be the two regardless of who wins it. My belief is probably going to be Jalen Milrow, which then looks, I don't want to say it looks badly for Ty Simpson. It's not necessarily like, I don't know, an indictment on him, but it's not going to be great for him starting at the year as possibly the third string quarterback for Alabama. Yeah, I, I think Jalen Milrow is going to be a starter week one. I, I, I think I would be more surprised if it wasn't him. Like I, I think he's a better than 50% chance to start. Like I would take him over the field. Um, the concern that I've had with Tyler Buckner, and this has always been the concern of mine basically for like four years now, is like this dude just doesn't play football. He's hurt all the time. He hasn't played a full season in like six years. Uh, that's probably an exaggeration, but also it's kind of not. Uh, it's probably like five or four, actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm not wrong. He, he's just been hurt so much. And I, I'd love to see him healthy because he was a top three quarterback. He was a top three quarterback in that class for me. I, I downgraded Caleb Williams. And I put him, Sam Heward, who let's not even talk about that, and Drake May in the first tier. I still think he has the goods, but he just needs to stay healthy. So, yeah, I I think there's concern there for Ty Simpson. Um, And I don't think we really like either of the freshmen, do we? Like Dylan Lonergan and Eli Holstein are fine players, but they're not Alabama players. Julian Sane will jump them next year when he gets on campus. Both both guys will probably transfer and go the – the Lane Hatcher route of former go. Alabama quarterback and then bounces around the G5 for a couple of years. Um, fine players, just not not SEC quarterbacks, I don't think. Yeah. Running back real quick, Jace McClellan seems to be the guy that's going to be running this offense. You got Roy Dale Williams, Jam Miller, Justice Haynes. I mean, I think Jace is going to be the guy for the most part. I really hope we get to see Haynes play a little bit. I think we will see him more on special teams, though, than actually in the offense. He was a really good kickoff um, and punt returner for Buford in Georgia, one of the better high schools just in general, not just in Georgia. Uh, I was really electric there, but I don't think we really see Justice Haynes take over till next year. Do you have any thoughts on the running backs? Yeah, it's Jason McClellan this year, and Roy Dell is like kind of the thumper. I, I, I'm kind of out on Jam Miller, though, if we're talking like Debbie and TTC. I just think he's going to get lost in the shuffle. Like, I think yeah. Justice Haynes is a better player than him. And then you have two players who are ahead of him on the depth chart this year who are probably going to leave. So it's just a it's, it's a tough situation for Jam. But I really like Justice Haynes. Um, and I think Jason McCollum's the guy. And I think Jason McCollum, we've, we've talked about this on the network before, uh, is a player who can, I think, work himself into day two draft capital and potentially round two if he has a solid season. Uh, I like what we saw from him his freshman year, but he's battled injuries and, you know, like recovering from an ACL tear last year. So it's, it's hit or miss with him. Yeah. I mean, this could be a massive year for him and I'm with you on, on Miller as well. As much as I liked him as a player, I do think Haynes is better. Wouldn't be surprised if it's a 50, 50 split and Haynes is just the better player overall next year. Uh, Any thoughts on the wide receiver core? I mean, Malik Benson, Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, Jermaine Burton still here. 
you know, Isaiah Bond, Kobe Prentice were guys that, or at least Isaiah Bond, we had a lot of hope for last year, didn't do anything. I believe Kobe Prentice at least broke the year one zero, at least a couple of them. So he's got that going for him, but it's just a weird room. And I, I, I like Malik Benson. You wrote a great article about him on the website. I just have fear that this offense is not going to be very pass heavy. I would not be surprised if it was a very run heavy offense. So I think like there's none of these guys that are really going to produce or do anything for you. Yeah, that's that's essentially how I feel. Malik Benson is my wide receiver one if I had to project this offense today. I just think he's the most talented player in this room. He didn't enroll in college or, or sorry, enroll in an FBS school out of high school. Uh, a lot, a lot of that was off the field academic stuff. And so he, but he would have gone to an SEC program. Like he has a speedy he has athleticism. He's all that going for him. Incredibly productive at 27 uh, yards per catch player at Hutchinson community college, like great player. Um, but I don't know if I want to really pay up for any of these other dudes. Tight end CJ Dupree, who's coming in from Maryland, is kind of interesting. But outside of that, I mean, yeah, it's it's just a bunch of dudes. Um, and I don't really like their freshman Jalen Hale all that much. He's okay. I think he's overrated in terms of recruiting rank versus where I think he's actually should should be ranked. But I agree with you. Speaking of a bunch of dudes, Arkansas. I mean, that is, is really that just, is a bunch of dudes. Really, just Raheem Sanders and a bunch of dudes. Do you really have, or do you care about anybody on this roster besides Raheem Sanders? I, I personally don't like. I know KJ Jefferson's getting some NFL draft buzz. I just don't see. Like, I think he's a good. It's not, no, it's not going to happen. I, just, I don't Jefferson. see him first round. I can't. I, I mean, I can't keep saying. I feel like Colin Decker up here. All these guys getting day two <laughs> draft capital. I, I don't even know that KJ Jefferson's that. I think he's a fine quarterback. He's a day three guy who like has athletic upside in turn and like he's not the same player as this player, but I could see him being used this way in an offense like Tyler Huntley at with Baltimore. I think that'd be a pretty yeah, interesting, a like perfect one-to-one perfect back comparison back is where yeah. is what he is. Yeah. Who, who fits a system that makes sense, super athletic, super big, but uh, you know, issues uh, behind him. I mean, I don't know if I like anybody else in this offense, to be honest. They brought in a ton of, like, dudes. Half their wide receiver room is transfers. Uh, Tyrone Broden's coming in from Blank Green. Uh, Isaac Tesla is coming in from Hillsdale. And um, Varkis Gums, who's the tight end, might be the most interesting player. He's coming in from North Texas. He was, he was honestly really good at North Texas. I didn't think he was going to commit. He was kind of talking to, other, like, a handful of other schools. Um, but he ended up did uh committing in june I, d- I don't remember when but good player but i just i don't really like anybody else i mean what do we think about rashad dubinian who's the running back two three that's the only guy that i think i would be drafting yeah i mean i think he's fine i don't i i really don't love anybody on this team outside of of raheem sanders to, to be honest yeah. i mean i kind of liked isaiah gustav who's the freshman but, I mean, he's got A.J. Green, so, Dominion ahead of yeah. him. He's fine. You're probably not seeing much of him for at least, not at least this year. Maybe something next year. Uh, Felix is in the chat saying Malachi Singleton. I mean, he's an interesting quarterback. I mean, six, he's listed, fine. I believe 6'1", 225. I feel like he is K.J. Jefferson. He's, he's, he's K.J. Jefferson is what I feel like he is. Like, they just went oh, out and found gosh. themselves another K.J. Jefferson. He's a good Good rusher. He's a really, really strong arm. Uh, played pretty good competition, if I'm remembering correctly. But, like, overall, he's not a guy that, like, I think is a game changer. 
in any facet the, of the game. The the only players that I think I would target potentially uh, outside of the ones we've talked about, I like both freshman tight ends, Lukash and Shamar Easter. I think are probably two top 10 tight ends in the country they both brought in. Hosh was really good in the spring. I think Easter is a better player, but something to keep an eye on in like tight end premium leagues who, who emerges and starts getting snaps because I think both are pretty good players. All right, we got to talk about the next Anthony Richardson now on the Auburn Tigers, according to to one Felix H. Sharp II with Robbie Ashford. He joins with new head coach Hugh Freeze here with Auburn. I mean, I I feel like I could say the same thing about them. It's just a bunch of dudes. There's really nobody on this team I am intrigued about at all. Uh, I mean, maybe Caleb Burton, maybe. This This is the actual bunch of dudes team. Yeah, a bunch of players who are like pretty good and probably can be SEC players, but are actually that good. And so, like, what do you actually what do you what do you do with them? The only player on this team that is interesting at all, at least in my opinion, is Jarquis Hunter. But he's also facing a potential suspension. I I, I don't know what's going to. Yeah, I don't know what's going to come down with that. Um, A lot of allegations about, you know, uh disseminating Twitter you'll find out yeah, yeah. Just, just search Twitter I don't want to I don't want to get our, get ourselves in trouble but that's the only player that I, I would invest in in this offense period to be honest from Debbie or CGC perspective I mean you could tell me that well yeah I mean I I, I, I'm gonna I'm always gonna champion tight ends so I'm gonna talk about it then and probably on every single team well as we go through this but that's I fine. actually really like Rivaldo Fairweather who was a transfer from FIU he's a good tight end and it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if he was like the a top option in this offense this year. He's a good player. Yeah, the only player that I am semi intrigued and I know my my bias will be called out here, and that's fine. Um, but Caleb Burton coming over here, I believe. Am I remembering the right Caleb Burton transfer from Ohio State? From Ohio State, yeah, that's right. Once yeah. a very highly ranked recruit, I believe at one point he was the number one wide receiver in his class before a bad knee injury. Doesn't have seemed to really recover from that, but what I will say is that wide receiver room, at least in my opinion, is wide open. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and draft him in a Debbie league. Don't do that. But in a C2C league, I could see you spending like your 44th or 45th pick and maybe because because we've seen what Hugh Freeze can do with these offenses. And maybe he ends up being a dude for you on the CFF side. But again, this is like a last round pick or a watch list guy that you maybe grab later on. If if you're making if you're making me talk about last round guys on Auburn, I would rather draft Jair Shorter, who's a Texas okay. or North Texas transfer, who's uh, who I think two years ago we had really high hopes for. Yes, yeah. stepping into that role, I think he's the best wide receiver in this roster. But you, now you brought up Caleb Burton. I I had I had to look, follow I, look up with my favorite CFF option. I'm I'm almost positive oh, I was I was the highest on Caleb Burton on on a recruiting team. So I got to let the dream live a little bit longer. You know I don't want to completely kill it off. I'm I'm hoping and that's I, and I promoted Jair Shorter two years ago okay. as a top option, and then he he sucked. So there we go. Speaking about sucking, Florida Gators. I mean, it's I'm not no Billy, probably, baby. It's probably not going to be a good team this year. It's going to be very intriguing. I know it's a little bit off topic here. What continues to happen with them and specifically their recruiting class if they do not have a good year? Because they've said they wanted a guy who could recruit. Billy Napier is doing exactly that. But I think there's a realistic shot they're only winning four or five games. I mean, 
there's nobody here. Trevor Etienne, I think, is probably the most drafted guy, Debbie-wise, probably C2C. Yeah. I mean, Eugene Wilson and Andy Jean, the freshman. I mean, Andy Jean was getting a lot of love in spring. Eugene Wilson was highly rated, got a lot of speed. But, like, I mean, outside of that, I, I, I don't – Graham Graham Mertz is going to be the quarterback. I mean, I think he could be okay because I feel like he fits what Billy Napier likes as a quarterback, but I'm not out here saying he's going to be Peyton Manning or putting up any kind of decent stats for you. I think he'll be you're, fine. Before You're way nicer than I'm gonna about to go be ahead, on go Graham Mertz. Okay. This, this is going to be harsh, and I, I'll just own it. Um, the University of Florida, a premier SEC program, Bring in Graham Mertz as their starting quarterback this year with all the options that were in the portal is embarrassing. Embarrassing. Even players that weren't in the portal that they could have snagged. You got Michael Pratt too. Michael Pratt is a hundred times better than Graham Mertz. You couldn't snag him. Where where's this money coming from, Florida? You dropped the ball once. You gonna keep dropping the ball? I I think Sunbelt Billy has done an okay job recruiting, actually exceeding my expectations because he did not do a great job at Louisiana. You got a team that's scheduled to win five games yeah. on most betting markets. You better you better figure it out. And Graham Mertz is, is not the solution, pal. Yeah, it's like I said, it's going to be interesting. Man. I imagine if they're able to keep DJ Lagway, that'll be a good thing for their recruiting class. But I don't necessarily think he's this solution to their problems either at quarterback. It's going to be interesting. Florida's a, in a very intriguing spot as a team that you would think should be competing for a 12-team playoff. But I would say right you now, if you're asking me, I would not put money on them making it even next year. It, it, it's a it's even a very weird, weird, weird place. And listen, Dan Dan Mullen was not the solution there, I think, long-term for, for a handful of reasons, a lot of that recruiting-based. But I, I don't know how you can argue the program's in better shape than when he left, even if you want to take the recruiting losses, like the transfer portal has not been kind. And the only true, like the biggest transfer portal impact guy was Osiris Torrens who followed Billy Napier from Louisiana last year. So I, I just, I wonder, and Montreal Johnson did the same thing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I wonder what the, what Florida's going to move forward. But yeah, Trevor Etienne's kind of the only player I'm drafting for, from a Debbie perspective. A team that could benefit from what they've done in the transfer portal is the Kentucky Wildcats. Obviously, Mark Stoops, who I think is uh, arguably one of the best when it comes to uh, negotiating contracts for anybody who knows. I believe as long as he makes a bowl game, he gets like an extra million dollar bonus every single year, something like that. Like his contract. Yeah, and it adds a year on as well, too, I think. Every time he has a winning record, it adds a year on, and it increases his salary as well. Genius, genius contract by him. I don't... I don't know if he if that's still the deal or that he actually got some sort of security long term, but that is that is a sick deal considering how well oh, he's yeah. done in Kentucky. They've had a bunch of like eight nine win seasons the last couple of years. Uh, they bring back Liam Cohen, who had uh, the great year for them offensively uh, two years ago with Will Levis when he had his quote unquote breakout year. But in my opinion, I said they benefit from the transfer portal. They bring in a much more accurate quarterback, and a quarterback I think is going to do good things for this offense in Devin Leary. Obviously, this team, which is weird to say because a lot of people don't look at Kentucky as a good team, has a lot of very intriguing pieces. I don't think that Devin Leary is a guy that you should be drafting in your Debbie drafts. I do think he's a guy you should draft in C2C. Probably not a guy you're starting every single week, but he will likely get drafted into the NFL. Again, probably a backup kind of guy. 
I would say the same thing about running back Ray Davis, who I also really like, but he's a day three guy. I mean, he compares favorably to running backs that have had long careers. Off the top of my head, I can't remember who was in our athleticism database. He compared favorably. No one of them was Javante Williams. I don't think he's that. But it was like no. Vic Ballard, uh, C.J. Anderson. I mean, both those guys had really good <laughs> yeah. play. I mean, they had good NFL careers. And if you could get that out of a guy like Ray Davis, who I do think has a really good year for you on the CFF side this year, is a, is a player that I want. And then obviously sure. the the real, the diamond of this offense is Barry Brown. Yeah, for, especially from a Debbie perspective. I mean, Barry Brown's the dude. He's small, though. Like, he's he's not that big. And so that you're, you're going to have to weigh that when you're talking about where to take him. And I think he's kind of moved down our board collectively as the offseason has went on as we're like, can we really draft a guy who's this size? Um, but I mean, he's a top three, five returner in the country, super elusive wide receiver. I mean, really, really fun player. I think Dane Key is a player who's kind of interesting, but I'm, I'm I mean, you're not really drafting him in Debbie drafts the same way you're not drafting Ray Davis or Devin Leary. And a lot of this offensive production honestly hinges on whether or not Devin Leary stays healthy, which has been Devin Leary's biggest problem through through four years of his college career. This he just he just can't stay healthy. It's it's been an issue for so long, and I hope he stays healthy this year because I think he's a legitimate quarterback. I mean, we were talking about him as like a sleeper going in the first round last year, and then he got hurt again, which told us that like this dude just is fragile and. It is what it is. That's just the player that he he is. I think at this point, it's not a coincidence. Um, he just plays kind of hard, which is fine. But yeah, I I, I think the player that you need to target on this team is is going to be Barry and Brown only if we're talking Debbie. CTC, maybe Ray Davis and and Ray Davis, Dinky and Leary, and then maybe Demi Sumo, who's a transfer from North Carolina State, yeah. if you think he's going to take over next year. Slimy Shark, maybe. Yeah. Slimy Shark. Old Slimy Shark is back. He went uh, 39th round in our drafts. Yeah, I, I'd be willing to take oh, him. Oh, shit. He got dra drafted? Yeah, I think so. I'm almost positive he did. I was looking at that earlier. Mike <sighs> oh, was in the comments blowing us up because I guess we were on the clock or we with time, timers paused, so I don't care. But uh, CFF Mike over here jumping down everybody's throats about being on the clock. Yeah, I believe he just got drafted. Uh, he was a guy that actually was in my queue. I, I would have taken. LSU, who I think is a, a very intriguing team in the SEC, a team that could really cause a lot of issues uh, in not only just, you know, causing Alabama some problems, but possibly even winning the SEC and making the playoffs. Had a fairly good year last year. You know, the weird loss to Florida State, I think, really kind of hurt their chances to, to, to do much of anything. They probably should have won that game, have to play them in week one again. And, and Texas a and Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sam's a thorn <laughs> in everybody's side, right? Very intriguing options on here. Obviously, Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer. We probably like Nussmeyer's NFL chances better than Jaden Daniels, but I don't know. Hey, yeah, he's not like the Slim Reaper like Jaden Daniels is. He's like my, 6'5", 150. My big fear with Nussmeyer, and, and Austin was on him last year too, So like, and, and I do think Nussmeyer's a very good quarterback, like LSU just doesn't play a hard schedule this year, and I don't see Daniel struggling enough against these bad teams to get benched for Nussmar. So I think there's a realistic shot. We're not seeing Nuss start until next year. 
for LSU, which again, still, I'm not trying to say don't draft him in Debbie drafts. I still would. He's going extremely late. He's going late in C2C drafts. I actually think he's going ahead of Jaden Daniels because of what, what we think of the talent overall. But like, I, he's just not a guy I expect that we're going to see this year just because you really look at that schedule. They don't play anybody until the last four weeks of the season. I don't think that's when they're going to decide to bench Jaden Daniels to start Garrett Nussmeyer. Yeah. I, no, I would be surprised if, if, he played significant snaps this year. You're just basically banking on him for next year, which is not a, which is not a bad bet. In my opinion, I don't no, think he's going to transfer. If, if Daniels, I don't even know if Daniels has any more eligibility. Um, I mean, I want to say he can't, but again, so, so who knows? I, I think Nesmeyer is a better player than Jaden Daniels is. straight up. Like, I, I think he should start over him right now. I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I love Garrett Nesmeyer. I just, I just think he's a super solid player, like a player that I, am and have been fairly aggressive in targeting this offseason. So, yeah, I l- yeah. L- love love the guy. Do you like Ricky Collins, the freshman that's going there? He's intriguing. Uh, he, I think, is is very Jaden Daniels-ish. But I think he's got a better arm, personally, than Jaden Daniels. But he is a, oh. a very fun rusher. Uh, he has some very good moments passing the ball. I, I Actually, if you search probably Collins or Ricky Collins in my name on Twitter, you'll find clips that I posted of him. He had one play where he danced around in the backfield, got blitzed, devoided the rusher, and then ran like 50 yards upfield. And the only reason he didn't score touchdowns because the defender like kind of got to him and he kind of went out. But he's also very thin. Like he's very much a thin reaper. Like Jaden Daniels is. He's not a thick kid, uh, but really good arm. I think if I'm remembering correctly, like an electric arm, really fun to watch. I think he could be the future there if that's what they're kind of building around he reminds me a lot of guys like Evan Prater and Desmond Ritter who their offensive coordinator is is it Denbrock I'm remember yeah Denbrock yeah, I mean he, Denbrock. That, th- those are guys he's gone after since his time at Cincinnati so I think Collins is going to be very successful for them but we're probably two years away from seeing him because I agree with, I think Nuss yeah. takes over next year so you're probably not drafting him in Debbie leagues and C2C he's like a late I don't even know that you draft him late, to be honest with you. You probably just wait, maybe pick him up next year once you see what Nuss does, maybe. I, I don't know. I like the player, but. Yeah, and he's a player who could be jumped by a higher-end recruit, too. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, they, they definitely could recruit over him. Uh, running backs, I mean, I don't love any of this group. I mean, I think Logan no. Diggs is the most intriguing just because he knows Brian Kelly uh, comes over here. He's probably going to get decent run. They're now saying, I guess, that that Emery will be back, right? Or is, am I remembering it correctly? Dude, I don't know. I'm tired I of hearing about Emery Jones, so, to be so honest. But I'm pretty sure that he's going to be back. Not Emery Jones. John Emery. Emery. Yeah. Yeah, John Emery. Sorry. The Whatever academic stuff was going on is, is cleared, and he should be back. I still think it's going to be Logan Diggs, but this room means nothing to me for Debbie C2C. Like, Diggs is probably it's, the only guy that I want. It's it's going to be a Josh Williams-Diggs committee. And, yeah, I I probably am not drafting. I, I, I might draft Diggs. N- not that interested. Not right, the meat and potatoes of LSU. What everybody came here to listen to. We'll just say the receiving group. Or we're going to put Mason Taylor in here because I know a lot of people like him for the the tight end position. Oh Leak neighbors. I mean, he's Debbie community seems to be very split on him. He's either good or he's a day two pick, and he's just okay. He's nothing special. I actually think that he is good. I'm not quite on the like wide receiver two in the 2023 class good but i think overall he's so, a very good player go first rounder 
I think he has a chance to be. If I had to say right now, okay. no, I would say he's probably mid round two. But I do think if he goes that's, out there and has another, oh. I mean, if he goes out there and has another good year for an LSU team and, and, and a quarterback that we say is not a very good passer, I think he could elevate himself there because outside of Marvin Harrison and Emeka Egbuka, Romo Dunze, I mean, those are probably the three. Maybe you put him up there with Xavier Worthy. I mean, you pro so there. There's a shot like maybe those are the three locked in first round guys, and they don't take another wide receiver. But typically, you see around four wide receivers go. And I think, I think because of neighbors play on the field, I think he can jump Xavier Worthy. He's a little bit bigger than where I don't remember exactly how big he is. He's not oh, one bigger than five, like Xavier Worthy. But yeah, but I'm trying to remember side like I don't. He's not like six two, is he? I cannot for the life of me remember how big he is now. I want to say he's like six foot one ninety ish, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, this is when I'll I need you. like someone fact checking me in the background. He he is currently six foot one ninety nine. That's a nice. That's a really nice size. That's the NFL profile that right, they're, right, right. Yeah. they're targeting. So because of that, and what I think he could do on the field, I think he could jump worthy. So that's where I think he could be the fourth to go in the first round. But if I had to say right now, I'd say he's probably a second round pick. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's where I have him. I have down projected him in the the first and the one mock I did, and I'll probably do another mock before the season kicks off. Uh, maybe he'll make it. I I would have to go through off season reports, but. After him, I mean, there's not really a guy that I like in this room all that much. I think there's hype around true freshman Sh- Shelton Sampson. I don't think he, I'm interested in, like, I'm as interested in terms of his recruiting rank to where I think he uh, is going to slot in on the depth chart. Um, I like Mason Taylor a lot. I, I think he's a really good tight end. I've drafted him a, a ton of places. Uh, he was a true freshman last year and honestly performed really well in the SEC, so... Those are the type of players that I want to target. And I, I actually really like the f- true freshman tight end uh, coming into this year is Camorian Pimpton. Uh, super athletic guy. He just needs to like refine his game a little bit. And I think that he could be a superstar, to be honest. Like he's a player that I'm super enamored with. I just, I, I, I look at the rest of this wide receiver room and I'm like, Kyron Lacey's all right. Brian Thomas is all right. And Anderson, the transfer oh, from Alabama, is all right. Like these are just dudes, just like yeah. just bodies to fill the room who are SEC talents. I just, don't, I just don't see anything special with them. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Anderson is the only other one that's semi intriguing. I know Austin's talked about him before, possibly sliding right into that slot role for LSU. Maybe he does something. I did like Shelton Sampson, but I find it's gonna. I think it's gonna be hard for him to get on the field, obviously, with Neighbors and Thomas on the outside. And, so and I'm even naming Jalen Brown. Yeah. Either uh, Jalen Brown, just a speed guy, in my opinion. But like, yeah, Milton Sampson, like, unfortunately, I think he's one of those guys where, like, we like him, but he could fall into that year one zero because there's a yeah. realist shot he doesn't do enough on the field. So it, it's going to be interesting to watch with him for sure. And, and Kyron Lacey's a pretty good player. Like, he's going to be another yeah. draft pick. I just not like I, he's like non Devi, not CTCSS. So like he's kind of a roster clogger, but he's probably also going to be drafted. The Mississippi State Bulldogs, obviously a whole new offense, whole new team after the unfortunate or the horrible timing, obviously, of Mike Leach passing away. Rest in peace to the Pirate. They bring in Zach Arnett, who is on the team, and their offensive coordinator now is Kevin Barbe, uh, who I don't know much about, but I imagine they're not quite going to keep that same air raid offense. Do we – I mean, Will Rogers – 
I don't think he's an NFL guy. I think he's more of a, a compiler for what he's done. I mean, he's going to end up with like SEC records for, for what he's done. <laughs> yeah, but he, I, I don't think he's unfortunately anything special. There's not really much on this roster that inspires any kind of confidence. Do you, do you disagree with that? No, I don't. I actually don't think outside of Rodgers there and, and maybe Jaquavius Marks that there's a player that I think you should be drafting in CTC or Debbie leagues straight up. Like I just, I just, I don't see it. And so Kevin Barbe is not an air raid guy at, at all. Um, in fact, he was the office coordinator for Lou Nichols when he had that monster season at central Michigan two years ago was at app state last year. Um, so like, that tells you kind of all you need to know about what you should expect from this Mississippi State team. Yeah. And I, I like Will Rogers. I think he's like a fun player. I think he's cool, nice guy. But like he's built to rock and roll in the air raid system. Like he's not built to play a more pro style passing yeah. game. Yeah. So uh, he just doesn't have the arm. Like he, he, str- oh, this is going to sound me. He joked about this on Twitter and he put, he retweeted this video. But it was him struggling to compete, like like so he was at like the his own forty five I think, and like had to like hail Mary with everything he had in his body <laughs> to get it to the end zone. I think he still came up a little bit short, and he was and he was joking about his own arm strength. That's just not just just not the player he is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they run this offense this year. I I, I and I like Zach Arnett too as an, as a coach, but this offense is just not interesting to me from a Debbie or CGC perspective. The Missouri Tigers, who I think are going to be an intriguing team this year. Obviously, Eli Drinkwood's still the head coach. They bring in Kirby Moore, the offensive coordinator, who was formerly with Fresno State, and I'll bring that up because of one Luther Burden. They also bring in the wide receiver coach from Ole Miss who helped develop A.J. Brown, Elijah Moore, and D.K. Metcalf. I, I have been saying now that I think Luther Burden has a breakout season this year. It definitely has to happen for him this year if it doesn't. I still think he's going to be highly regarded again. I think everybody overlooks the fact that he broke you and Austin are, are the Kings of this year. One zero theory. I, I just Austin, Austin more than me. I don't want to take more well, credit I mean, than Austin I, created than it. I you do. expanded on it. You guys have made it into a, a legitimate thing that we all like go to as, as a source. And a matter of fact, it honestly kind of kills these freshman wide receivers who don't do anything. They lose all their value whatsoever. If they're classified as a year one zero, and Luther Burden broke every single one. And both of you said that it's extremely rare to watch players do that. I, I, you, I don't know if you know off the top of your hand. I think it's only like three players or four players, something like that, that have done it. Yeah, it's it's under five players. I, I don't remember who they are. But yeah, it's it's extremely rare because you don't see players utilized in the rushing game, scoring right. rushing touchdowns, scoring return touchdowns. Like, like, it's really rare. It takes a really dynamic player to do so. So, I mean, that just speaks to his athleticism. We we knew he was a little bit, you know, rough as a, as a route runner, raw as a route runner and, and a wide receiver. But I do think that he can, the, the wide receiver coach coming over from Ole Miss can help develop that. What we heard all that about, about uh, DK Metcalf. He's not DK Metcalf size, yep. but he is a very, very good athletic wide receiver. I think it's going to be fun to watch what he does this year. The obviously bad part about it is it's still probably going to be a struggling quarterback room. I mean, I had hopes that when Jake Garcia transferred in, maybe it would give him a step up. Brady Cook was just like 
I think man is the nicest way I can put it. You know, I had hopes for Sam Horn who can fire it in at 90 miles an hour. It doesn't seem like he's going to take over this job outside of, of really Luther burden. I don't know that you're leaning on, on anybody here. I mean, I'll lean on you here for the running backs, but it feels like everybody's down on this running back room as well. Like it's really just Luther burden and then just dudes. Yeah. Um, so the slot receiver in Eli Drinkwitz offenses have historically been really productive. And I think that that's the spot that's vacated by Dominic Lovett. And I think Burden's going to be the one to step into that role. So I think that there's CFF production there. And I think that if he can develop a little bit more beyond like the line of scrimmage, to be honest, um, he could have a really successful year. And that's what we need to see from Burden because he just like, he needs to figure out how to operate downfield, not even downfield, like 20 yards. I'm talking downfield, like 10 yards. It just was not a successful season that way, but he's in the role that should succeed. Um, running back wise. I mean, I, Cody Schrader is probably the guy again. Tavares Jones had a strong spring, but not nobody I'm drafting. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. I was really hoping I could uh, find it here because I know... So he definitely did, obviously, do a lot of his work around the line of scrimmage, but his dot surprised me, Luther Burden's last year. It was not... It, was, it, was, it wasn't three. It was actually like seven. It was It was over 10 yards. That, that kind of makes sense. I mean, I... I, I uh, He probably split like half his carries beyond... Well, I wonder how many of his his targets were actually like or receptions were like oh I, I will tell you really quick um tell so because i haven't pulled up i'm sorry he was at 9.7 so it was just under 10 yards that's, but that's not that bad. his receiving depth because i was looking at this the other day obviously we, we we talked about it so almost i mean you're talking 60 oh, percent of his work came between the line of scrimmage and nine yards so i mean that you yeah. know it's, it goes to what you're saying like he needs to he needs to work more downfield but there is a shot that my only fear is that that doesn't happen because if you guys watch fresno state and you saw what this what, what Moore was able to do with Jalen morano cropper it was a lot of that as well but i i just think burden is a very talented wide receiver i'm really hoping that he has yeah. a good year this year i i think so too um i don't feel anything about their like high end wide receiver group, Josh Manning, like one way or the other. Yeah. I, I've heard a lot about Brett Norfleet, the tight end and how he had a really strong spring or they're really excited about him. But I mean, those, neither of those players I'm, I'm drafting. I'm talking like deep leagues here, folks. All right. The Ole Miss. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Ole Miss Rebels. You got a couple more teams left. Obviously team built around Quinshaw Judkins. He's, he's great. Kidrick Roscano, I think, could have a really good freshman season. He's built very much like Quinshawn. Wouldn't be surprised if he jumps Matt Jones and Ulysses Bentley is kind of like the guy to split time with. Uh, outside of him, to me, probably the only quote-unquote receiving player I'm looking at is Michael Trigg. Uh, I know you don't want to talk about Jackson Dart, so I'll let you kind of get in Michael Trigg, and then we'll, we'll talk about the swag king himself, Jackson Dart. So my interest in terms of Ole Miss pass catchers goes like this. Zachary Franklin. Transfer in from UTSA, their leading receiver last year. Trey Harris, transfer in from Louisiana Tech, I believe their leading receiver last year as well. Um, Jordan Watkins, who is the wide receiver three on this offense. Caden Prescorn at tight end, who is a transfer in from Memphis, who was a top 10 tight end in college fantasy last year. And then Michael Trick. Okay, cool. So... Not quite, not quite the way I thought you were going to go with that. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think there are interesting names in, in this wide receiver room. I just don't see anybody special. Like, 
I, I've talked a lot about Zachary Franklin on this program. Why I, I think that he's a player that I'm just like not nearly as high on as other people are. Um, I just don't think this office is going to be super pass heavy. I mean, they have, they have a really nice running back room. So I, I think Lane is adaptable enough to kind of like understand the strengths and play to them. Yeah. All right. Walker Howard, I think is actually an intriguing player. I know we did not love him as a recruiting team, but he's a five-star quarterback. Who I th- <laughs> For those of you listening on the podcast, so Chris Moxley is now left because he knows I'm about to talk about Jackson Dart. Uh, Walker Howard, though, you know, five-star quarterback. I think he's fine at everything. Could be the future at quarterback if this in this offense. Jackson Dart. I'm just gonna say this now. We'll move on. Book it. 2025. God, I want to say first-round pick, but I don't know that I could. I'm just gonna say it. Who cares? 2025. He's gonna be a first-round pick. Played okay at the end of last year. I think he has a really good year this Jesus, year. Jesus, you guys, you got, you got it. You you can't say and, things with no consequences. And you, he, if you're going to say first round pick, put put some on it. Put something on it right well, now. I'm not putting a tattoo bed on it. You are on a hot streak. I am not risking my body that way. You can't, you can't you can't tell the listeners that he's a 2025 first round pick without putting something on it. Okay, we'll have to talk about what to put on. I'll put something on. I'm not. I can't put a tattoo. On. Okay, next 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 week when we come back, we'll lead we'll off the have, show with what Matt has I will, put I'm on. I'm put two this. two limits on this because I've done these before. I will not do a tattoo bed because I already have one, and there's a chance that I will lose that tattoo bed at some point in time, and it requires me then getting a dolphin put in as tra- a tramp stamp, and I do not want that. So there's a chance I lose that one. It was a long time ago. It was made with a different podcast. I bet that. Uh, that Justin Herbert will win an MVP or a Super Bowl before Tua. And since Tua got Mike McDaniel, I do not feel that great about that, unfortunately. Mm, don't like that one. The second one, and I, I will take this off the table as well, as I promised Austin could kick me in the nuts if Emory Jones was a first-round draft pick. I will take that off the table as well, just in case I ever want to have another kid. So way outside of those two, well, I'm, I'm well, well, and willing I'll, to, to commit I'll call. To I'll call you sometime this week, and we'll we'll uh, we'll establish sticks. But Jackson Dart, I think he's going to have a, a sneaky good season this year, and I think he comes back. Has another good year, 2025. First round pick, Jackson Dart. All right, South Carolina, your game, Cox. I'm just going to let you take this one. This is all you tell us who we need to know. Yeah, uh, Spencer Rattler is going to be QB1 this year. I I don't totally you love this QB1 offense. for the team, right? I'm sorry. I When you said that, I, mean, yeah, I thought you were going to be QB1. Like he's okay. going to be QB1 I'm for the game, Cox, this year. Uh, don't totally love this offense from Dow Loggins. I think that has kind of a low ceiling. I do think it's going to be better than the Satterfield offenses that we've seen the last few years, plus Mike Bobo beforehand. So do without what you will. Um, at running back, I, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Dotavius, De, uh, DJ Braswell, I think is the guy who emerges long-term. Um, DeCarian Joyner, who has played like multiple different positions for this team, started as a quarterback, went to wide receiver. I think he was the Mayo Bowl... MVP at quarterback slash wide receiver too, which is just, he's awesome. Like we, we love him in South Carolina. Um, but I think DJ Raswell is the guy who emerges long-term, uh, same, I mean, same with Lenore Sellers, a quarterback, right? Like I think Braswell Sellers is going to be a, a pretty slick dynamic duo in the sec East for, you know, a handful of years. I mean, and then wide receiver. I was just going to say, if, if they really can get Harbor going on that offense, Sellers, Braswell, Harbor for two years, that's kind of it, it – South Carolina might be a little bit of fun to watch on a Saturday. Well, they did beat Tennessee and Clemson last year, so I think they're pretty fun to watch on a Saturday anyway. Um, I, I I love Antoine Wells, uh, Juice Wells. 
I, I loved him coming in before he even honestly committed to South Carolina. I thought he was a super talented player. He was considering a handful of other schools and just, he just had it. Uh, he played a little bit injured when he was in his last year at JMU and came over to South Carolina and like established himself as one of the premier wide receivers in the SEC. And I, I think he continues that this year. And then there is no other wide receiver on this team that I would be any interested in. They all stink. Um, tight end Trey Knox, I think is a little bit interesting. Uh, if you're in tight end premium leagues, I think that he, they really liked the way that he performed in spring. Um, I don't know what to think about Nicholas Harbor because he's listed as a wide receiver right now. And, and Beamer is called Shane Beamer head coach is called wide receiver. So if he's going to be wide receiver, like that reduces his value a ton. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Tennessee, another intriguing team, obviously with Josh Heupel, they bring in Joey, uh, is it Hazel? As the offensive coordinator, yep. losing Alex Golesh. Uh, obviously going to be a very intriguing team. Jabari Small back at running back. Cam Seldon, the true freshman, who is very intriguing athlete, who I think will be used a lot this year. Joe Milton at quarterback. Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, Dante Thornton. It's a really good team. I think we're going to see Nico at some point. As much as I would love to see Tennessee kind of run the table here and challenge maybe put down Georgia to, to give them that loss. I, I just don't see it. I think this team's still going to struggle a little bit on defense. And I think if Tennessee loses a couple games, that's when we'll see Nico come in. Uh, but regardless, I think he's the future going to be a really good player. Th- those are really the only guys that I'm watching out for. And even Squirrel White, I, I have my – I don't know that he's really an NFL guy, but he should smash this year in CFF. So I've listened to a couple shows recently from – I want to say people in the know, but people who have probably spent more time looking at this program than I have. And they seem to think like Brew McCoy and Dante Thorin might be wide receiver one and two. And I don't want to minimize the squirrel white impact, but I just also don't want to be too overconfident on him because he's going honestly really high, really high in yeah. uh, CFF and C2C drafts. And I think there's a little bit of risk there that is not really being accounted for. So I like, I will take him if he falls to a certain place, but I also am not like super aggressively targeting him. And I, I actually don't think I've drafted him once, but that's, I mean, that's not intentional. Just yeah, goes I mean, early. One of those was, I'm almost positive it was Bud Elliott summer school with the Tennessee uh, beat writer for two, four, seven, who talked, I remember he talked a lot about Dante Thornton kind of being the yeah. guy. And, and that's and, when I was like, okay, like is, is squirrel white gonna be the thing? But I mean, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I, I, I I th- one of them was probably Bud Elliott, and the, I think the other one is maybe Brad Powers, um, bed the board show. But uh, I think if you want to take a arbitrage position on this wide receiver room and just kind of try to like be really cheap about it and take an upside shot, I think Ramel Keaton is the one to do that with uh, in CFF. I think like round 45, take him the last round. If it doesn't work out, just drop him and add somebody else. But interest- interesting strategy. Then I don't know how you feel about the freshman. Uh, Leacock, but interesting player, but not somebody I'm super excited about. I, I wasn't high on him, but I know a couple of the guys on the team were. So I, I'll I'll be honest. I feel like wide receivers probably my weakest spot when I talk about the recruiting. Uh, there's guys that I really like, and some of them hit, but I, I don't feel like I'm as good at evaluating those guys as like Austin and, and big wide I receiver thought, guy are. So I thought Caleb Webb last year was a better player than than Leacock is this year. But I mean, I, I'm not like that confident in that, in that pick yeah. either way. I, I think squirrel white, Brew McCoy, Donnie Thornton, Romel Keaton are the guys you want in this offense. 
All right, the last real team of consequence probably in the SEC, the Texas A&M Aggies. I've said before, Jimbo Fisher, he does the least with the most. Adds Bobby Petrino on as offensive coordinator. I mean, I, th- I think Connor Wigman could have a really good year. A lot of this is really just going to depend on what Jimbo lets Petrino do. But obviously, I think you're drafting Ruben Owens, who I think is a really I- – I think the age factor has been widely overblown, especially when you look at what this means for college and NFL. Like, we, we should really be looking at running backs in three-year windows. And I don't care if he's 24 years old going into the NFL. I'm looking at him for three years, and I don't I don't care after that. I think he's a good running back. Evan Stewart, obviously, we talked about it on the BSN show last week. In my opinion, he is the best wide receiver in the entire SEC conference. Uh, but I don't really see much from Moose or Aeneas. I, I don't think those guys are, are anything special. I mean, Aeneas is obviously a special athlete, very fast. But, like, really for me, it's Owens, Wigman, and Stewart. Yeah, I'd, I find it hard to disagree there, right? Like, I liked Connor Wigman last year. He's a five-star quarterback coming to Texas A&M. Um, and look fine. I mean, I, I think there's upside there. Um, I'm not gonna like, uh, you, you and I are in agreement on Evan Stewart, so I'm not going to rehash that, but I think Moose Muhammad is kind of interested. I'm, I am like not his biggest fan and I don't think a lot of us are, but he's been talked about. And I think Dame Brugler had him ranked kind of high in his, a piece on the athletic about wide receivers. So I'm not like aggressively targeting moose, but if, if he's being considered high in like NFL circles, maybe he's worth a stab late in drafts, but he's just like, I just don't think he's super impressive player. Him and Smith are like, yeah, not that all that different. So who steps into who, who's going to occupy that role? The, the one thing I'll say for, for moose, he got a lot of love last year in spring as well. And has in this year, I think he's a very he's a very good route runner. I think he's just a very solid wide receiver. So in my opinion, it makes sense for a guy like Dane to have him ranked highly. He, he's viewing this obviously from the NFL perspective, not from fantasy. Yeah. Like for our side of things, we don't see him doing much for Texas A&M this year, and he probably gets drafted, you know, early day three next year, which is not a guy that we're really betting on for for fantasy there. But for NFL, that matters. Like he could end up being, I think, a viable wide receiver three for an NFL team, but something Mike Valerie says on back to Debbie all the time, like wide receiver. Great. He's a starting wide receiver, but a wide receiver three does nothing for me on my fantasy team. So that that's kind of where I view Moose. Like I'd actually think he's a good wide receiver. I just don't think he matters really for our purposes. Yeah. And I, last thing, I mean, I like their tight end Donovan green as well, but uh, I mean, they brought in two tight ends last year and I think green emerged and we'll have a pretty solid year this year. All right, last team in the SEC, the Vanderbilt Commodores. I mean, the only player, I'm I'm sure you'll talk Will Shepard, at least I know you've mentioned him before. Cedric Alexander, the true freshman running back, got a lot of love this spring. He's probably the only player I'm really looking at when it comes to, not even Debbie, just C2C, because I I think he's a little bit on the small side. I don't know that he's he's a player that you really want to project toward the NFL, but for me, and probably Will Shepard, they're the only two I'm really intrigued by when it comes, and it's specifically just C2C leagues. <laughs> I'm like, do I really want to craft a case for Will Shepard? Because I'm not sure how good he actually Oh, if is. you don't like him, maybe I'm I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm thinking of a different Shepard. I thought before no, you said I, that you like I mean, Will I Shepherd, think he's so. fine. Like, I don't think he's a bad player by any means. I just like don't know what his upside is in this offense. So like he's a player that I'm not 
necessarily draft it. Like I think Jaden McGowan's actually a little bit more interesting. Um, okay. He's a pretty dynamic player. Um, was a starter as a true freshman had in like an admirable season, I would say returns kicks is a special teams guy. So he's a player that I am a little bit more interested in. Uh, I think Cedric Alexander is all right, but like you said, like he's, he's on the tiny side. So not a player that I want for Debbie purposes. And then, um, I mean, AJ Swan is their quarterback and I like, he just isn't a draftable player in my opinion. Yeah, they, I mean, he, he came in last year and 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 made some plays, but yeah, he's not. Yeah, yeah. And forward to, yeah. I actually talked about Camorian Pimpton when we were talking about LSU earlier, but Camorian Pimpton was committed to Vanderbilt for a long time, um, and they're a school who targets like high end athletes, hoping to mold. And so, the, so uh, I've talked about this on a couple shows before, but there are certain schools that we pay attention to when when they're recruiting because they have like. I think a really good process in terms of identifying talent. So whoever's like first or like initially early to offer them is really important. So Vanderbilt was really early to offer Pimpton. He went to LCU. Boston College is number one, another one of those teams. But like from a strategic CTC, C2C and like recruiting perspective, Vanderbilt's teams pay attention to um, yeah. who they target early because they, that's their, that name is probably going to blow up at some point. Yeah, I, Matt and David have talked about this a ton on the official. They they use like a lot of advanced analytics and everything in their recruiting. Uh, yeah, they're, the way they recruit, they're early on a lot of guys that not necessarily even just we end up liking, but like the recruiting other recruiting services end up like, oh man, this guy's really good. And that you go and look, and Vanderbilt offered him like a year ago. So like they are definitely a team when they they're offer these guys, good. you should be paying attention. Yeah, they're very good at what yeah. they do. That's that's probably the biggest takeaway from Vanderbilt from this entire show is just like pay attention to they offer too yeah, early. They're, they're great at recruiting. Uh, all right, so that that'll do it. That is the full SEC preview. We would have had this at about an hour, but we we talked a lot about obviously the the Big Twelve in Colorado and the PJ Flex stuff. Be back next week. I don't know who we're previewing next week. Felix didn't tell me, uh, but I'm sure Felix and Austin will both be back next week. So until then, we'll talk to you guys again soon.